mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today, Palm Sunday, will be taken from our reading in the Gospel of John. We begin with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks still able to gather this way uh, this morning, Lord, to remember the trip your son Jesus Christ took to the cross. Lord, we thank you that he did this according to your will and to your plan for our sake and for our salvation. Lord, we don't always know what your plans are, and yet we know that no matter what we face, we are secure in the palm of your hand. We pray today, Lord, that you would watch over us, and I pray, O Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So how are you guys doing? You can answer me. I won't be able to hear you through the screen, but you can answer me nonetheless. How are you doing? Are you ready for this thing to be over? I know that I am. As I mentioned last week, I miss being together. I miss the fact that we're not taking that we can't gather together as one body around to receive uh, this sacrament. It's so difficult this time. It breaks my heart that the way we are preparing for the Holy Week is not preparing for services in the sanctuary with all the stress and the difficulty and the joy that comes with that, but rather we're going to be doing it again online. As we mentioned at the beginning of the service, which you, if you haven't seen it, you can rewind that at the end and then watch it again. We do have plans for this week. We are going to be doing Holy Week online, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. We do have a plan to meet the resurrection of Christ. We do have a, a plan then when we return to do Holy Week proper where we do gather here together in the sanctuary and celebrate and remember and repent and rejoice. We have all of this planned, and so we thank God for these opportunities that we still have coming in the future. This is what we are doing. This is our plan. But if I'm honest with you today, that's a phrase that has become basically a joke to us, hasn't it? That's our plan. I mean, we're kind of learning right now. The Lord is teaching us right now the vanity of planning. I've been reminded lately of this proverb that is really sort of ringing in my ears. The proverb that says, This many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I think one of the things the Lord is teaching us right now is that our plans for the future are nothing more than vain attempts at control. Plans are vain attempts at control. We can't control the future right now, and that's being made very apparent to us. Far too often we've been trusting in other people to plan the future and tell us what's going to happen, and we get one word after another that this pandemic uh, is going to go on for a long time, but at least we'll be able to get back together on this date. And then they say, no, 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 it's going to be this date. And then later on they're kicking it down the road to this date. We don't know when schools are getting back together. We don't know when we can see each other again. Our plans for the future are in vain. And what happens when, when we can't plan, when we can't control things, we get very anxious because we're losing certainty. And this loss of certainty produces fear and anxiety. This is the sort of thing that is going to harm the economy, I'm afraid. It's going to cause people to act in such a manner that they are going to pursue control because they're not going to learn that we have no control. 
but instead they're going to try and take it. And that grab for control will be driven by fear and anger and selfishness and, will, and, and could potentially harm people. We're failing to learn that all such planning is nothing more than an illusion. Because here's the reality. You have never had control of the future. I know it feels like you used to. It used to feel like your feet were on solid ground with your planning and your planning books and all of this. But you and I, we have never had control of the future. And I think one of the things we have to repent of is that much of our planning is an attempt to act as though we control the future and not God. We have a hard time trusting the one who is in control, especially when we can't see what he's doing. And I think that's the hardest part in all of this. We don't really know what God is up to. We don't know why He's allowing this to go on. We don't know what God's plan is moving forward. I did hear a quote this past week that I thought might be somewhat helpful for us. At least it puts us in a better mindset or I think at least gives us a better attitude. And the quote came from a theologian who said this, when I understand that everything happening to me is happening to make me more Christ-like, it reveals a great deal of my anxiety. Excuse me, it relieves a great deal of my anxiety. That might be a better attitude for us to have right now, to recognize that what is happening to us, whatever it is, whether it's because of the quarantine or anything that's happening in our lives, is happening to us to make us more Christ-like. Now, I don't know if that actually relieves your anxiety, but it ought to help you recognize that God has not stopped working on you in the midst of this. And perhaps God is working on you in the midst of this to teach you to trust Him more. To cause you to pray to Him in a different way, a way that you haven't really done in the past. God is using this time, perhaps, to get you back into His Word. To get you to start thinking about your neighbors and how you might love and care for them different and in new ways. Whatever God's plans are, and we can't know His plans, we can't access the hidden mind of God in any of this, one thing we do know for sure, that whatever is going on, He is in the midst of it, beckoning us back to Himself, calling us back to Him to repent of our sins, to repent of our selfishness, to repent of our vain attempts at control, and to teach us to trust Him by pointing us to His Son, Jesus Christ, who is yet our Savior and our Redeemer, who has not left us and who has not forsaken us, who daily and richly forgives us our sins and promises to be with us no matter what we face. And so that's where we find ourselves here this morning, being pointed back to Jesus Christ in His Word, here gathered on the internet, as it were. Focused again on Palm Sunday. Jesus is comforting, as I, this is for me, Finding Jesus the same place we find Jesus every Palm Sunday. In the same place He always is on Palm Sunday. Riding on a donkey. Making His way to the cross. His face sent like flint, as Isaiah says. Towards that cross and towards that empty tomb. It's interesting, I think, as we examine the passage today, as Jesus is making His way to the cross to die and rise for the salvation of the world, find a lot of other people making plans for Jesus in this time. We find, for example, his disciples. And the disciples, they've got plans 
for Jesus. The disciples, as you will notice, are riling up the crowd. They're getting people very excited. They're letting people know that this Jesus who is riding on this donkey is the same man who raised a man, Lazarus, from the dead. And he is the Messiah. They're sort of leading this chorus of people, getting them all riled up, getting them to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The King. Oh, do they have plans for Jesus. They're crying out Hosanna and waving palm branches, which, are, which is sort of an act of uh, political independence. Crying for this guy to come in and drive out their enemies, to get rid of their captors, to remove the Romans, so that he can be given a throne, he can seize a throne for Jerusalem and grant Israel power over all the world. So here he is, riding on the donkey. They hail him as king, lord, ruler of Israel, redeemer of the captives. Hosanna. Let's get him on the throne. These are their plans. But they're not the only ones making plans for Jesus this Palm Sunday. So were the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They had seen Jesus. They had heard rumors of him raising Lazarus from the dead, and they were very nervous about this man. He had been teaching and acting in such a way that caused them to lose their power base, caused them to lose their control over everyone. Further, they were worried if Jesus was going to do what the disciples wanted him to do, they were worried that this Jesus was going to be yet another failed Messiah who would create an uprising and cause Rome to come in and stomp them out. So they were trying to figure out what to do with this Jesus. They were planning how they might get rid of this Jesus, remove this Jesus once and for all, and restore their power base. And as we will see later on this week, they get their chance when Jesus' friend and disciple Judas betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. He sells Jesus out. And their plans come to fruition. They get rid of Jesus by crucifying him. But is it really their plans that are coming to fruition? I mean, actually, this is something I, I think that's kind of interesting to think about. Whose plans come to fruition that Holy Week? Is it the disciples who want to see Jesus crowned as a king? Or is it the Pharisees and the religious leaders who want to see him killed and removed? I suppose in a certain sense, we could say both. Only it comes to pass in a way that neither of them are expecting or necessarily even wanting. I mean, the disciples want him to be crowned, but not with a cross. And the Pharisees want him to be killed, but they're not interested in a resurrection. You see, Jesus comes, and he comes on purpose. He comes to fulfill a plan. But it's not the plans of the Pharisees. It's not the plans of his disciples. It's the plan of his Father. And the Father has sent Jesus that he might suffer and die and three days later rise again for the salvation of the world. The Pharisees and the disciples, they have in their minds their plans, as we heard from the proverb earlier, they have in the minds of their plans, they have in, minds their, in mind their plans, but it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. Listen to what Jesus says again. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? 
Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Glorify your name. For this purpose, God's purpose, God's plan is for Jesus. Yes, to be crowned king. It is for Jesus to be given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is for Jesus to become king, to sit at his right hand, not in a political sense as though he's going to become king over Israel like the disciples want, but rather to be the Lord over all of creation. But you have to understand that coronation will not come without a crucifixion. That glory does not come without a cross. Resurrection never precedes death. It was God's will. It was God's plan for Jesus then to die for the sins of the world. Pharisees wanted him dead, but for the wrong reasons. Disciples wanted him crowned, but not in this way. Their plans will all come to naught. But it is only by means of God's plan the death and resurrection of Christ, that we will ultimately have forgiveness and life and salvation. And that is precisely what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. He has won your forgiveness, He has won your life, and He has promised you salvation through His death and His resurrection. Now I suppose in a certain sense then, there's an analogy here for us for how God is at work in our lives uh, as well. Because this is the sort of way God is constantly working throughout the Scriptures and in our lives. He is the God, after all, who brings life out of death. But for far too many of us, we don't think we need to go through that death. We think we're doing just fine in our lives with the way that they are. And so what has to happen for us all too often is God has to come along and upset the apple cart, to put it far too lightly. God has to come along and take our lives away from us earlier we mentioned God is working in this perhaps to make us more Christ-like, but we have to understand that in order to become more Christ-like, this means we have to die to ourselves. It means that we have to daily take up a cross. It means that we daily have to return to our baptisms and be crucified and raised to a new life. To be formed into the image of Christ is to find yourself in a situation where you are no longer in control at all, but all control resides in God's hands. And to be Christ-like is to set your face towards that cross and to take it on. But honestly, that's not what we want to do. That's impossible for us. To become more Christ-like, we'd prefer a much more comfortable and glorious route. We'd prefer a route that doesn't sort of threaten us at all, but comforts us and encourages us and gives us positive reinforcement and achievable steps, an easy life, a good life. We'd prefer a God who would love our lives as much as we love our lives, who would like our idols as much as we like our idols, who would polish our idols, not shatter them, who would help us, you know, fulfill our plans and not allow a quarantine to shut us in. And yet Jesus says, whoever loves his life loses it. Sometimes you need God to take it away from you. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, Jesus says, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Well, where is Jesus? Resurrected, sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven in glory and majesty. And that's where we want to be, and that's where we will be because of what Jesus has done for us. But we never get there without the cross. To be where Jesus is, we must follow Jesus where he went. And that for us means the cross. So if you are a Christian, if you are to be a Christian, you must expect the cross. But if you're going to sustain that cross, if you're going to be able to endure whatever cross God to you, you're going to need God's word to help you through it. You are going to need God's word to sustain you and encourage you. You are going to need God's Holy Spirit who comes to you through the word to carry you through to life everlasting to strengthen you to help you to cause you to stand and you only receive that spirit you only receive that word when it is proclaimed into your ears and so to you who this day suffer a cross i am here to put jesus in your ears for you as a called and ordained servant of the word i proclaim to you that jesus christ has come for you Jesus Christ has died for you and your sins are forgiven and he will sustain you into life everlasting. Look now, you who bear a cross, look to this Jesus who bears the cross for you, who alone fulfilled God's plans. And notice how he does this now. And and I'm I'm going a little long today and I apologize, but but I haven't seen you in so long. There's so much I want to say. But notice today how he does. You who would become Christ-like, look to Jesus who has saved you and redeemed you by becoming sinner-like. Now, how about that? We who strive so much to be Christ-like must look to a Jesus, to a Christ, who has come to look like a sinner, to be like a sinner. Not a sinner in that he ever actively sins, not in that he actually ever does something sinful, but becomes like a sinner in the way that he suffers and dies. Notice where he hangs when he comes to the end of this week and is on the cross. That's a death for a thief. That's a death for a criminal. That's the death for a sinner. And notice what he suffers as he hangs there. It is the wrath of God. The wrath of God which is reserved and deserved only by sinners. Jesus according to God's will, comes to be sinner-like. As St. Paul writes, he who is without sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ who knew no sin becomes sinner-like in his death so that you will become Christ-like in your resurrection, which means that everything you face day in and day out, the dying and rising, this baptism you undergo daily is being done so that you will rise to be with Christ forever. This path to your resurrection, oh, according to your plan, it will be wrought with trial and temptation. You will sin and you will fail. And Christ will be there every step of the way to forgive you and to strengthen you. You will bear a cross, but as you bear that cross in this, the Spirit will 
lift up your eyes to look to Jesus who suffered so much more for you so that you can say this, this current trial that I am facing is difficult and hard, but it is nothing compared to what Christ has suffered for me. And if Christ has suffered this way for me, and if this suffering of Christ is for my good, then whatever I am facing now, it will ultimately play out for my good as well. And all of this, you see, will go according to plan. God's plan, which is ultimately and finally to redeem you and save you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It will not happen according to the disciples' plans. It will not happen according to the Pharisees' plans. And it will not happen according to your plans. The plans of God. For it was the Lord's plan and will to crush him. And then to give him the name that is above every name. And in doing it this way, whether it was in your plans or not, Jesus saved you. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your plans. Your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our ways. And we thank you for this, Lord, for if they were, we would not be saved. And so, Lord, now we pray that as we have lost control of the future, you would remind us that you who have saved us and redeemed us continue to remain in control even when we can't see it. Teach us to trust in you and to cling ever more tightly your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.